G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to I'm Loving Your Work. Today on the show, we have Craig Goddard. Craig has forged a successful career as an entrepreneur by identifying genuine gaps in the market and seizing his opportunity. Craig has a far-reaching reputation as an incredibly savvy businessman and has taken great interest in helping those around him get the best out of themselves. I'd like to thank Craig for all the support and advice he's given to me over the journey. I hope you enjoy my chat with Craig Goddard. Okay, so today we've got Craig Goddard with us. Craig, thanks so much for being no here. No worries, Ryan. Good to be here. Now, Craig, I really wanted to talk to you. Um, we've had discussions in the past, uh, as you have with many, many younger people, about sort of their career pathways and the directions that they're going in and they have been in and that sort of thing. First of all, tell us a little bit about your sort of pathway. Uh, and, and yeah, and sort of where, where have you come from? Yeah, my life's been somewhat of an evolution. So went to school locally in Geelong, just to a local primary school and a local high school. I guess I was a reasonable student and there was some encouragement for me to get cracking with some sort of university. But uh, even at a really young age, just thought I was going to take my own journey rather than a traditional track. So my dad was, a, a, he was involved in the building industry uh, in Geelong and whilst I probably disappointed my mother by not heading off to university I went to work with him and did an apprenticeship I figured that uh, there was great opportunity to to get cracking and be a successful tradesman and perhaps b- build a business that way so I spent some time doing that and uh, look always really wanted to have a crack at excelling everything I did so I did reasonably well at trade school there and was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go overseas and do some further training and study in, in, in that field and got over there, saw the big world and uh, always looking for another opportunity, saw uh, an opportunity to bring back some products and a, and a business model and uh, I guess that was the start of my business journey. I don't know how far you want me to go yeah, with that no, just so, now. <laughs> so yeah, so, so from there you've opened a, a number of businesses and, yeah. and you have been a, a business owner yeah. for, for a while now. Yeah. Talk us through some of the businesses that you have had. Yeah. So you started with, was it historical restoration? That's right. So that was what I just described then, uh, my return from the UK where I went. Uh, at that stage there was lots of people who were uh, who were either building reproduction style houses or they were doing up old style places and uh, there was no real retail stores, certainly where I lived, that sold the products of people wanting to do that. So at the ripe old age of 21, I came back full of fervour and, uh, and lots of enthusiasm and, and uh, opened a little place called Historic Restorations that sold lighting and brassware and tiles and those sorts of things. Very much a, a limited range of products because it was all done just on whatever I could piece together. But yeah, that was the start of it. And then, so, so you had a, n- a number of stores. That's right. So we had one of those stores in Geelong and then another one in Geelong and we opened one in Ballarat. And uh, we started to uh, import some things from, from overseas. And uh, so, yes, it grew into somewhat of a business. At the same time, I'd meet lots and lots of people, as you'd expect, coming through the store. And always with an eye open, I... Uh, met someone who was a nurseryman who was really hankering to get into his own business but didn't feel confident so I ended up owning a 50% share in a nursery during that time and similarly um, was involved uh, in, a, in a liquor store business and um, so look I guess at that stage was just really excited about business and uh, being an entrepreneur and all of them uh, went well and were a great learning experience. Uh, yeah. So, so after having the, the historical restorations, you went into naturopathy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that was a bit of a segue. So, 
Um, yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, Is that not na- no. I suppose natural sort of part. No, it's a it's a reasonable question. So look, uh, um, when the business started to grow, my brother came to work with me. He was a he was a corporate accountant, and um, in fact, he was an import accountant. And uh, we'd started importing products, and the business had grown to a point where I really needed to, you know, get some extra support. And so he came to work with us in the business. And with a view to ultimately, you know, us becoming partners. And unfortunately, six months into that journey, he got a brain tumour and uh, subsequently died. And uh, look, that was a very traumatic time. There's no no other way to put it. And uh, I decided to sell everything. So, you know, I just didn't want to do that anymore. So look, we sold all of the businesses we had. I took three months off uh, and my wife and then two children travelled around the world uh, and uh, when I came back, I literally wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, my wife was a nurse, so she went back to, thankfully went back to work to get cracking. And um, at the time, it was quite difficult. I'd been, Jane saw a naturopath and she suggested I go along and see this naturopath, which I did. And she was just fantastically helpful. So I, uh, I uh, thought, well, look, I reckon I can do that. I've, you know, I just it, it grew and grew and grew, and I thought, look, that's what I want to do. So, I uh, embarked on a three-year course to to become a naturopath. And then, so the uh, I suppose the pull of business ownership then then got you again, uh, and so you had healthy lives. On, that's on right. Paco. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then and then so yeah so so from there you made the change into sort of Subway came after that, and that's sort of that's how I suppose I, I've known you through Subway, and yeah. and you mentioned it before, and and. After going to Subway, we'll talk a little bit about Muzz Buzz as well, your uh, drive-through coffee stores. I think one of the things that, that you've been able to do really well is identify gaps in the market. Mm. And, you know, your Subway stores came to Geelong when, you know, it was, it was largely sort of Macca's, KFC and Red Rooster and sort of all the unhealthy fast food. And Muzz Buzz sort of came at a time when, you know, drive-through coffee wasn't, nece- you know, it wasn't, it's not a thing everywhere even now sort of thing. How do you sort of look at, say, the market and identify, say, a genuine gap in the market rather than what seems like sort of, say, a novel business idea? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd like to think I've had a, had a formula. I guess in some ways I've been somewhat lucky. I mean, I've been lucky to the extent that um, things have presented themselves and, you know, perhaps I have thought that there was an opportunity there and, you know, we've been lucky some of the business we've got out of have been at the right time. But, I mean, I think in some ways you've, you've got to have a look at, uh, firstly, if it interests you, that that's a really good starting point. You know, I mean, uh, you can say you can go into general business, but I don't think that there's anyone re- that's really successful in business in unless what they're aiming to do or the business they get into is something that they enjoy. But I mean, in in relation to Subway, that was I was in the health food store working as an naturopath. That was you know going really well, but it's largely sort of a, an altruistic sort of a thing. It's not a big money making thing. I had children growing up that I needed to educate and I just literally put on my entrepreneurial hat for a minute and said I've got to find a business and uh, as it turned out I knew someone that had said oh this is business called Subway that there was a builder that was doing a shop fit for it and said that um, you know they're opening a company store and I think they're in America and I guess what you've got to try and do is always have your ears open and if something is there and it pricks your ears you've got to go for it not wait because I bought that store uh, in about three days when there was lots of other people looking at it and they were stuffing around. Yeah. And so, so with that, how do you weigh up, I suppose, the balance of impulsivity and 
even with sort of personal purchases, I remember sort of being younger and, you know, mum and dad would teach you, you know, wait a week, sort of, if, if there's something expensive that you want to spend your money on, you know, wait a bit of time. How do you sort of balance that up in terms of jumping on the opportunity when you need to, as opposed to sort of having a bit of time to let it settle? Yeah, yeah no, that's a really good question. So look, obviously, I, I'd had the advantage of having been in business, so I could see the numbers, I could see you know, what they were asking. They were really just asking the cost of establishment to get into the business that had been running for a relatively short period of time and had shown that it had some turnover, but just running under management with no real direction. So I guess I lent on the fact that if I was to go in there and really maitre d' the place, that there was a good opportunity for it to grow. And I also did my research, I mean, in a very hurried way because it was literally a week from first looking at it to buying it. Um, got on the net, saw that, you know, it was a massive thing, spoke to other people. And, and, you know, so I could see that you've got to have worst case scenario. I mean, basically, I was buying it for cost. Worst case scenario was, you know, there was probably 30% of that was probably saleable, you know, fit out stuff. So, you know, that's how I went about it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And and so with, with Subway, being sort of part of a franchise and not having sort of that experience with franchising so much before... What are some of the things about franchising that you think differ from, say, owning your own small business? And is there ever issues with sort of autonomy and that sort of thing? And, for example, with Subway, when everything happened with Jared Fogle, the the spokesman, did that sort of affect you? Well, if we perhaps talk about Subway, I mean, it's it's an enormous franchise. It's, you know, the biggest... Uh, number of store franchise food franchise in the world so it's it, it's enormous and it's like a big steamship so I can recall when in that three-day period when I was contemplating buying the store they've got a franchise agreement that was like an encyclopedia and I took it to my lawyer and said I'm looking at doing this he said to me and I quote mate if you want me to read this don't buy it he said when it's such a big business like that you know you've just got to leave your questioning entrepreneurial mind at the doorstep and pick it up later on you know that that's really what you've got to do so you join a franchise because you want them to show their expertise so in individual business you have complete control and you have complete risk so every single thing you've got to do in business whether it's you know think you've got to be thinking about marketing you've got to be thinking about costs you've got to be thinking about your next product all those sorts of things you pay to go into a franchise because you're hoping that they've got good people that are thinking about those things. And that's what you pay your franchise fees for. In terms of what happens in a franchise, you're quite right. I mean, you can have no control over some clown in America like Joe Fogler was doing those those sorts of things and you get tarred with that brush at no fault of your own. I mean, the good thing, I suppose, in one sense is you know, him particularly was a long way away. And look, we got a few snide comments but really he'd expired as being a real spokesperson as far as we were concerned but you know that's in no way to diminish the terrible things he did yeah going on with subway sort of expansion is sort of something that i think you've done quite well how do you know sort of when to expand sort of yeah what are some of say the pros and cons of expansion rather than kind of containing it and sort Mm. of yeah just managing a smaller business i mean i was you know fortunate and, and then subsequently very frightened to the extent that uh, I was the first franchisee in Geelong and Subway, unlike some of the other franchises, didn't have a process of giving you a territory to develop. They basically would give you a licence to the next store. I recognised that pretty soon on and six months into being in Subway, I could see that the business was going to work. It had grown quite a lot and it was its momentum was there. So I gave Subway a business plan 
as to where I thought stores would be able to start in Geelong. And they said, well, look, you know, we don't do territories. But what they did say to me is, look, we'll create a relationship with you that's not a territory. But, we, you know, if you keep bringing things to the table, we'll certainly give you the opportunity. So because I knew lots of people in Geelong, I would find sites. The issue, And so really, I had to keep on going or someone else would have done it in answer to your question. So expansion for me wasn't really a choice. It was a necessity, unless I just got off my butt and made it happen. And there was lots of difficult times inside that. Unless I actually had that expansion, it would have been someone else's in a more conventional setting. You know, there's lots and lots of things to think about. But uh, really, I was really forced into expansion and luckily it went okay. So you, you've been a business owner for a while now and in a variety of sort of different platforms with a number of different businesses. Has your role changed over time? And has, have you seen your role change over time? So for example, when, when you had uh, one of the earlier stores, even the historical restoration business, mm. did your role as a business owner change compared to say Subway, even though they're obviously vastly different businesses? For example, with Subway and Mosbuzz, employing a lot of young people, does that create its challenges? And yeah, could yeah. you expand on that? So well, when I started in business, I worked by myself. So I was, I was everything, I was the, the true maitre d speaking to everyone doing everything delivering stuff so a single business owner that's what you do you you wear every single hat and that that's a you know that's a fantastic grounding if that's what you need to do i mean as time went on and i was involved with other businesses while i was in this business of my own you know you did you you, you kind of learnt that part of your role was more an advisory one so you know the guys that i was in business with they were the experts in that area and so I guess I was taking a bigger picture view and perhaps focusing on some of the things that I guess over time I've, I've maybe if they if I have strengths that's what they are so that would be working with people employment you know these sorts of things and so I guess over a period of time my skills have lent much more to that at the beginning of my subway journey when we went to our second store I could see there was all sorts of things that were going to need to be dealt with and revolving around accountancy and bookkeeping and and, and all sorts of things. I mean, in a franchise, a lot of the things are taken care of, but certainly as you grow, the same thing applies. Dealing with banks, the numbers, profit, all those sorts of things. And I very early on decided, look, I was just going to deal with the people because I felt that as a maitre d' in business, dealing with people was the thing I enjoyed the most. So right from the beginning, I looked after HR, talking the kids. So all the way through my business journey, certainly if we speak of Muzzbuzz and and um, and Subway, I've been responsible for employing everyone. There's really never been any person that I, that's come to work in my business that I haven't interviewed. So, yeah, that's that's been fantastic. I mean, when you you don't always necessarily get that right. That the decision you made at the beginning of what you think that person is isn't necessarily always the case. But you know, by and large, we've been pretty lucky. Just picking up on sort of the way that you speak about business. You, you seem to be very good at recognising where you can add value and obviously sort of having kind of this proximity to a lot of younger people, what sort of advice have you given them in the past in terms of being able to distill where you can add value and recognising your strengths and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, one of the benefits of getting a bit older and seeing quite a lot of things, you, you, there's probably not a lot of new things and so if you've seen lots of kids and you've seen varying directions and varying outcomes probably the the best thing that I can do is say to someone who I see might be trying to pursue a particular thing or might have a 
particular skill set or a set of problems or are heading in a direction that maybe historically or by precedent hasn't had good outcomes, I can perhaps share those stories with them and, and try and encourage them to, to, to perhaps uh, consider an alternative. So, you know, that's probably the thing I enjoy doing the most now. You know, I've got so many, um, you know, guys that have, have, have worked with me and, uh, you know, I really enjoy sharing their journeys a bit, for those that want to, but lots do, you know, because there's a... I mean, I remember my vulnerability going right back to when... You know, the school principal came to my house to say, please don't leave school, Craig. We don't get many guys do degrees at, you know, this particular school. So, you know, I mean, that, I didn't perhaps listen to that advice, but I, mean, I, I can remember, you know, I can remember not being sure and all those sorts of things. And it's, you know, it's good to listen to, to those around and then you make your own decision, you know. Mm. And so did you have any sort of, say, mentors yourself? Opening a business would have been, yeah, a very daunting experience at the age of 21. Yeah, that's an awesome point, Rowan. I think one of the most important things for for kids to do is to get lots of mentors. I mean, your parents are fantastic. I mean, they, you know, they're everything across all topics in your life. But, you know, you just can't beat having, you know, other people around you that are, you know, whether or not they're building on what your parents are saying necessarily, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just good to have other views and other people and, and seeking people that can perhaps add to your journey or support you do, the things you're not that good at. That's a really good point. One of the things I thought would be fascinating to talk to you about is it's been in the media recently. Triple J have had sort of specials on it in the past, but that the generation divide that is sort of being being perceived lately and obviously we'd say Bernard Salt's comments kind of inflame things a little bit what's your sort of take on that having employed so many younger people whereas being you know a successful business owner yourself you know what what are your thoughts on whether it's uh whether it's harder these days would you for example be able to have started your historical restoration business in a 2016 landscape or so look, I mean, it, it probably it's it's hard. To say. I mean, starting a new business when you're really young. Look, I was unquestionably lucky. You know, I really just did get into that particular business at a time when it was right at the bottom of the curve, and the curve took off, and I was sort of in the right place at the right time, and managed to wiggle around and you know make it a you know I guess a reasonably successful business. I mean, at the moment, I think. Uh, it is probably harder for younger people just to start from scratch and just do those sorts of things because I guess regulation and so forth has progressed a lot, which does does make that harder. In terms of the genera- generational divide, you know, it's a constant challenge for me to somehow sort of walk the tightrope of being relevant and being able to communicate at a level where, you know, the kids don't think I'm some sort of an idiot or whatever and, you know, present things in a way where, they're happy to be there and, you know, they're, they're, I'm happy to have them there. You know, it is it is difficult, but it's my greatest challenge and I really enjoy it. So, Do you remember any advice that was given to you that particularly resonated that you've found to be particularly beneficial at all? Yeah, okay. So, look, I, I had certainly did have mentors and people that I spoke to at every, you know, every juncture, you know. I guess, look, the best bit of advice... I give anyone that's going into business because there's great excitement when you're starting in business and and everyone extrapolates success straight away. They we're going to be successful and they look at other similar businesses and say that looks fantastically successful. The best advice I was ever given and I guess I've given to so many people subsequently is 
the day you start, you've got to keep every single cost you can as close to your chest as you can. So do everything on the bare minimum. Work really hard to, you know, if you're starting a new business from scratch, look if you can recycle or if you can, you know, get things at less than expense. Because once you've got the loan and you've locked it away, there's no coming back. If you can do it for half of what you're allowed to borrow, then that's just going to set you up in good stead. So, yeah. And is there any advice that, uh, that either you were given yourself or that you hear being given to younger people today that you maybe don't agree with? Um, well, look, I personally think there's a lot of kids going to university when they don't need to. I reckon there's so many courses now that, uh, you know, as I understand the university funding model, it's, you know, it, it, there's a bit of demand and supply in it. So if there's courses that kids want to do and the universities can put them on and fill them, then that's kind of a good outcome for the university. But I don't believe it's necessarily a good outcome for the kids. So I think anyone kind of planning a university course ought to be looking at the job they're going to do at the end of it first, see if there's demand in it, is there opportunity in it. If there is, then get on with it. What tips do you have for, for say, people who are stuck in a place where they're just struggling to kind of advance themselves within their, within their business? So as, a, as an employer, what are some things that you look for in people that are going to kind of shoot up the, yeah, the, the internal level? That's a really good question, Rowan, because I think this is... This is relevant to just so many people in all different sectors and it's what people don't necessarily do enough of. So if you've got a boss or, you're, you know, it's probably not so relevant at school but certainly with, with, with any sort of employer at any sort of level, if you go to them and you say, if you say to them, look, you know, I really love to progress, uh, you know, is there any targets or challenges you could give me, be they big or small, that are quantifiable that you know I can have a crack at and we can talk about later on and look I can guarantee you that there'd hardly be anyone that wouldn't at least see that positively and more than likely probably give you those targets and give you the opportunity to progress if you're in a job or a situation where you just don't see any possibility for any advancement even on the back of showing encouragement uh, sorry showing enthusiasm or anything like that it's probably time to look for another opportunity, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and so, so what sort of attributes do you value most in, in someone who you're looking to employ? Yeah, okay. So look, really, just genuine. You know, if someone, you can sort of, I guess when you've spoken to lots of people, you get a sense of being genuine. They don't need to be any particular person other than that. Just, just genuine, uh, you know, uh, some enthusiasm, and, you know, probably the capacity to... Look, I think the first 15 seconds that you spend with anyone, you form an opinion. And, you know, if they've got an endearing smile or a bit of a glint in their eye or they're polite, they're well presented. Certainly not, as happened to me the other day when I was doing interviews, a girl checking her text messages under the table as she was talking to me at the job interview. That didn't... <laughs> <laughs> that didn't that, that didn't actually go down that well but perhaps that's a, a millennium thing or I don't know but like <laughs> certainly not that that's not what I'm looking for but no look honestly I think anyone that goes to any particular uh, job interview or wants to go for a job your starting point is just to try and assess the situation and recognize that the person at the other side of the table really just wants you to start out as, as presenting well, you know, being a nice sort of a person and, and uh, you know, having some enthusiasm for what's on offer. So, yeah, so just going on with that, with that Bernard Salt thing, so, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that? 
have have you seen I suppose your gen general applicant change as I suppose generations wise moved into the millennials and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I've actually got you know a, a twenty year old son and a twenty five year old son who actually love going out for breakfast and having smashed avocado and all that sort of stuff on their toast. And and their argument to me saying, well, why spend so much money at breakfast? Their argument is, well, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than going out at night like you used to uh, and spending, you know, $70, $80. I can remember when I took my wife out for our future wife out for our first meal, it cost me a week and a half's wages. So, you know, I guess that's a reasonable argument. But um, look, I think... In fairness, breakfast now has become more a time when you go out and you do that, that sort of stuff. So it's probably not for me to say that it's it's bad expenditure, but certainly could be done cheaper if you did it yourself. I'll throw that in. <laughs> and have you, so say for example with sick leave, like I suppose extending the, the argument behind those comments, you'd probably see an increase in sick leave and, and taking entitlements and that sort of thing. Is that been, has that been something that you've noticed over the journey? Um, Look, I don't think I don't think that's changed that much, to be honest with you. I mean, I think on balance, you know, if there's a level of respect in the workplace and people feel like they're valued and all that sort of stuff, when they're sick, they'll call in sick. And if you know, if if they feel that they're worthwhile within their work and, and that they're respected, then that's not something that's going to be abused. What do you think some of the biggest curveballs behind being a business owner are? Oh, that's a good question. So, look. I mean, the cha changing markets uh, are really difficult. I mean, you know, where we live here in Geelong, obviously at one point there was one or two cafes in one of the ends of Packington Street. Now there's eight or nine. Now it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong or anything like that. Just, you know, oversupply is going to hit your business. Changing moods in the market. I mean, I was in a restoration business that went really well for 15 years or more and after I left it went well for a while and then the the, the design mood of the new construction industry changed which was a large part of the business and went more modern and that just no fault of your own the market changed so I think you know market change is a huge thing your enthusiasm for the business you know changing locations where businesses are appropriate I mean you know the Geelong city because it's where we live you know at a certain point in time just the the side streets were find to have business, then a Westfield opens and they die. So they're all the sort of things you can't necessarily control, but you've got to be ever ever vigilant watching for them, yeah. And is there anything that you would necessarily change about the way that you've you've gone through your journey? Not a thing. Yeah. No, not a thing. I mean, and if I was, you know, if we were talking to, to a room full of people I'd hear, I'd say the same thing. I mean, you know, don't be frightened of the journey, you know. I think it's important to, to have targets and create little journeys and they might be bigger journeys i mean guys that are thinking of look i want to study a traditional profession like you know medicine or law or, or whatever it is that actually may well have an assigned job at the end of it there's nothing wrong with saying that's what i want to do for the rest of my life and and really focus on that but for for guys that aren't particularly sure about what they want to do well just think about what they're happy to do for the moment and create uh, a journey within that and, and try and give it a beginning and an end for a period of time that you feel comfortable to do that and start on that. So do something, just don't do nothing. Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier on about some of your, um, in terms of say getting Subway in, in three days and that sort of thing. How do you continually motivate yourself when there isn't that, 
I suppose, real tangible next step on the horizon, like opening a new store. Yeah, and that's yeah, look, that's true. I, I mean, for me at the moment, I and for probably some years now, I haven't really realised it. But the thing that I've enjoyed most is is being working with the guys that I work with, and you know, the, the, I really get fantastic feedback from the guys I work with, and I love seeing their journey. Uh, perhaps I, you know, wish I was back there myself having a crack at it, but. Uh, you know, so that really is what does motivate me. I mean, I really enjoy my job. Like, uh, it's a much smaller business than it was in its heyday, but that allows me to touch it much more readily. So I get around all of the shops every day and, and you know, do a little bit here. I love, I'm, I'm probably a frustrated maitre d' going right back to my beginning. So I'll go into the stores and make a few sandwiches over lunch and talk to the people and see the stuff. So look, that that's how I do it now. And yes, you're right, it is different. And I do other things for myself now. So, you know, my wife and I travel. So, I mean, you know, my life has changed, but it's settled down to a point where, you know, I really enjoy it. And what are some of the main incentives, do you think, for being a business owner as opposed to to working for someone else? Well, flexibility and, and control over your own destiny. I mean, for some people... I've probably spoken to quite a lot of people over the years that are in, in employment. I say, why don't you do your own thing? And, you know, seemingly through my eyes, I can see a, an absolute uh, pathway for them to do this. But if it's not in your makeup, it's a difficult thing to do. If you're just totally frightened of the concept of really having to, you know, control things yourself and be, you know, ultimately responsible for what you do, it doesn't matter how good the outcome, uh, sorry, the opportunity may be. It's just not right for some people. So, you know, they're really better off staying in a in a work situation. You know, for others, once you get into your own business and if you can see, if you're constantly seeing the next thing within a business, then it's the right thing for you. If you're constantly, perhaps you're at work and you, you can see opportunity for the business but no one else is seeing it, well, that means you've got that sort of mindset to think ahead. So maybe it's the right thing for you. Yeah, and so what advice would you have for someone who's wanting to take that step to becoming a a business owner? Look, I think whilst there's fours and against for the franchise model, I think if you're young, uh, there's a a good argument for certainly having a look at franchises in the sector that you're interested in, if nothing else, to sort of see what other people that are maybe having some success are doing. And it's also, I guess, a softer way to get into business you would hope. I mean, it's not always like that. But so you maybe look at the franchises. I mean, it's about doing your research, really. Uh, you know, you've really got to... But you don't want to get hamstrung by research and look for every reason not to do something as well because that's easy to do. You, if you've got... If you go into it with that mindset, you can always, you know, just not do it because you, you just find a reason not to. Um, and if you decide to do something, as I said, it's all about being really careful about your expenditure and not getting caught up in the moment of excitement and just throwing caution to the wind. You mentioned before we, uh, you, about university and, and, and some people possibly not needing to go to university and that sort of thing. What are, what are some things that you found opposed to uni that have yeah. worked? I mean, I'm not against university at all. I mean, you know, like university is an awesome place for, you know, so, so many reasons and it, it's, you know, it's a place of advanced education and, you know, it's just vital for our community. It's not that I'm against university. I think, you know, you've just got to be really mindful that uh, university isn't a guarantee of employment at the end and particularly, you know, trendy sectors have evolved 
from certainly from my perspective and what what I see, I see you know trendy sectors evolving and people going to university and spending three or four years to study in those areas, uh, with perhaps little prospect of employment at the end of it. And so to me, that's it's, it, you've got a degree, but it's really in, I mean I see the resumes come through my store, so I know it's I know it's the case. In terms of an alternate pathway, I think a lot of people ignore the pathway of being in something they really like and seeking opportunity and challenging those they're working with to give them further opportunity. It may involve extra education in that area that's part of a work pathway. So I think you can get a long way and then that might you might develop skills and understanding of that business sector that then lets you open your own business. So I think the pathway of just determination and, and enthusiasm and watching for opportunity is a very valid one and you know that is anyone that wants to go into entrepreneurship or wants to go into their own business I think that's a fantastic route to take. And what about stuff like like MBAs for example have you felt uh, at, at times in your business ownership that an MBA would have helped a lot or have you sort of thought maybe it's not as necessary? Well I've inquired about, over the years inquired about doing an MBA on numerous occasions and Never managed to get myself over the line. Um, and look, I've spoken to people that have done their MBAs and, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, look, it certainly, I, they, I could not have done it and it not have been of some benefit to me. But along the journey and as I've got older, people have sort of said to me, well, why would you bother doing that? What, you know, what do you hope to achieve by doing it? And I guess, look, in some ways... <laughs> It's a not an uncomfortable badge to have to say you've done an MBA, and so you know that might have been a nice thing to have done, but uh, perhaps I've just been too lazy or frightened. I don't know, but I know. Yeah, but so, so what do you think is some of the source of your business knowledge if it hasn't been through? I think experience is wonderful. You know, like, and but I've just got a natural inquiring mind, so all the way through, you know, and I've had lots of mentors, and I'm I've been just totally annoying all the way through my life in terms of asking questions and inquiring and and not stopping you know this is the thing you've got to be determined like I would never see if someone says no or you can't do that or we don't know how I'll ask someone else and I'll just keep on going and going and going till I actually get to a point where I feel I found something out and once I've done that that goes into the bank of knowledge and anyone can do that you know it's it's more about having a persistence to to seek the outcomes you want. Well, Craig, thank you very much for, uh, for imparting your wisdom with us today. Um, it's been great to chat to you, as always. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for giving me the time to join, uh, share that with you, Rowan. Cheers.